34 past 8, that means it's time for politics. Uh, good morning to uh, John Moore and Dr. Phil Ferguson. Good morning. Hi, Kira. Jamie. Oh, I'm very good. good. I'm very good. It's been, a, it's been a bloody great week, mate. And what, yeah. a, what an awesome morning I've had so far. Uh, and a big week in politics. <laughs> it's been a big week in politics. Yes. And, uh, of course, Jacinda Ardern was signed in, sworn in as Prime Minister yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before? Now I'm losing yes, track. day before yesterday. Day before, that's right. By the Queen's representative. <laughs> yes, yes, the Governor-General. Indeed. Uh, and the government has taken office. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll start. Who are some of the ministers? with uh, the the most significant portfolios. Okay, so having a, a threesome, so to say, with, in terms of this Ooh, government, we have, a, <laughs> we have ministers in Cabinet from both New Zealand First and Labour mm-hmm. and ministers outside the Cabinet from all the three parties, so including the Greens. So at the top of the list, of course, is Jacinda Ardern, um, and she's given herself two ministerial portfolios, Art, Culture and Heritage, so following along the lines of Helen Clark there, when yes. she was Prime Minister here a big focus on that and also on child poverty reduction so new uh, I, I think that shows that will be a real central concern of this government to be seen to do something in regards to child poverty um Winston Peters is number two, Deputy Prime Minister. So Winston Peters from uh, New Zealand First, Minister of Foreign Affairs, as he was under, uh, I think, the last two terms of the last Labour government. Quite effective, too. Uh, yes, he, uh, I, I think he, he was... Um, certainly Helen Clark was very happy with his performance. Uh, one could call him a, a conservative, pragmatic uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs. Um, also Minister of State-Owned Enterprises. Yes. So that's interesting because Winston Peters has talked about rolling back the whole sort of neoclassical free market reforms that were carried out throughout the 80s and 90s. So will we see any moves in terms of how state-owned enterprises are managed, which effectively run as private companies at yeah. the moment on a profit basis. So it'll be interesting to see if we see any movement there and also minister of racing of course yes. <laughs> <laughs> he loves his ggs he loves the ggs maybe he should be minister of beer uh rugby yep. and racing minister of cigarettes let's open up the factory in batoni again and get those cigarettes a rolling <laughs> grant robertson um uh an old school colleague of mine at king's high school uh is oh God, I uh, <laughs> and actually i went to primary school with him as well uh, he's Minister of Finance, so yes, you can see him as number two or three. Former USA President, I yes, former USA well. President and NZUSA President mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I guess he's seen as uh, pretty centrist when it comes to uh, economics, but prepared to lurch to the left or to the right on certain issues as well. So there's mm-hmm. a flexibility there with Grant. Um, we've got Calvin Davis, who was. Um, um, well, is Deputy Leader of the Labour Party, not Deputy Prime Minister, because that job's gone to uh, Winston Peters, of course. He's going to be Minister for Crown and Māori Relations, Minister of Corrections and Minister of Tourism. So I think it's... it's um, I think it's... We'll see in terms of Māori relations and Māori settlements, treaty settlements, I think we'll see Labour carry on in the same vein as the previous national government, really, uh, um, directly negotiating with certain EWI, putting less emphasis on the recommendations of the uh, Waitangi Tribunal, which has really been the legacy of of, of governments going back to... um, Bolger. The Bolger government. Mm. Yes. Uh, Okay. Um... Shall we go on? 
Uh, well, you, we've got to mention uh, David, Dr. David Clark, don't we? Yeah, so uh, our own David Clark, um, MP for North Dunedin, is Minister of Health. Um, and um, also Claire Curran's going to be a minister in Cabinet. Who's now well. my new favourite minister, I might add. Uh, really? Think, well, she is the Minister of Broadcasting. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love Claire. Give me money. <laughs> Give us some more funding. You have to go back on the Radio 1 podcast and delete any segments when you see anything <laughs> critical about it. <laughs> I love her boots. It's a great, great fashion sense. In terms of uh, New Zealand First uh, uh, Ministers, we've got Ron Mark. Um, as Minister of Defence, and that's yep. a position that he's always wanted. He's a, an old army man, yep. um, and he's 63, so he's relatively old, um, and he'll be Minister for Veterans as well. So, um, again, uh, I think he can be seen as socially and in terms of military policy a conservative, mm-hmm. um, uh, but flexible as well, so I don't think we'll see any great change in terms of uh, uh, policies in terms of use of the Defence Forces, not that it's uh, his decision as such. Um, Tracy Martin from New Zealand First, who's really uh, a favourite for liberals and lefties who, who tend to see her as a progressive yeah. in, in New Zealand First. She'll be Minister of Children, Minister of Eternal Affairs and uh, Minister for Seniors. Um, a lot of people picked her for Minister of um, Education. Yeah, maybe that's too big a role for New Zealand First, uh, really, that Labour wants to, because it is always quite a key issue, education. They, mm. want, they want to have that portfolio themselves. But yeah, that's certainly a, uh, an area of interest of her. Uh, Shane Jones, who used to be in the Labour Party but now is in New Zealand First, will be Ministry of Forestry, Ministry of Infrastructure and Minister for Regional Economic Development. Um, and I, I guess uh, uh, that that points to New Zealand First's concerns, over, yeah. especially over regional development. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think New Zealand First is more and more positioning itself as a party that wants to be the, seen as the party of the provinces and of the regions mm-hmm. and of, of rural people as a whole. Yeah. So they want to deliver. Uh, you know, they want to hand out a few goodies to people in the provinces and, and, and to foster development in those areas away from Auckland. Well, and that in turn would be good for the, the Labour Party anyway because they do never do very well in the, in the provinces. You know, the reg- regional electorate, electorates don't do well for her. But is, is there any surprises for you, Phil? Um, I don't think so. Uh, in terms of personnel, one small surprise was that if you compare what the Greens got and what New Zealand First got, um, there does seem to me to be quite a disparity. Like, New Zealand First, seems it seems to me, got more weightier. Yeah. Significantly more weightier portfolios than the, than the Greens. I guess you could say <coughs> um, that, you know, James Shaw's got climate change... Um, and, and maybe that's um, a major portfolio, but most of the stuff that the Greens got is very secondary. And it's outside of cabinet yeah. as well. It's yeah. stuff they want. Yeah, it's, it's stuff they want. But it, you know, if you look at say foreign affairs, defence, um, regional economic development, you know, I'd say those are actually what New Zealand First got the kind of the the level of significance. In the gov- in terms of this three-way, um, New Zealand First got more things of significance yeah. than what the Greens got. Leaving aside 
outside cabinet because I think the Greens were wise not to go into uh, not to go into cabinet. And I think that's due to New Zealand First having a lot more leverage than yeah. the Greens. The Greens didn't have I mean, any leverage, all, really. Yeah, well, because they always, locked yeah. themselves into uh, supporting Labour before the election. Uh, New Zealand First well, was open. They said, you know, that, 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 that stops at the election day, on election day, that deal. Yes, I guess that they, they had campaigned on changing yeah, the government, yeah, so it would have been yeah. very difficult for them. Yeah. They could have technically um, uh, said, no, we're not going to support a Labour-led government, even on confidence supply, but it would have been incredibly difficult for them to do that. Um, and in New Zealand because it was uh, prepared to go with national, uh, was uh, was able to get a bidding war going between mm-hmm. uh, national and Labour, and so was able to get more juicy positions inside cabinet. And I think that makes a big difference. Even I think the Greens and James Shaw have been quite disingenuous when they say, "Oh, it doesn't really matter if we're in cabinet or not." Not it really does matter. It means that if you're in cabinet, you're you're meeting with the uh, other leaders of the government on a regular basis and, and yeah. in committee meetings uh, where you're threshing out policy and when you have an influence uh, on a regular basis in terms of uh, influencing the Prime Minister and the other Cabinet Ministers. The Greens don't have that same level of, of, of influence. No, but they have the, have the possibility of actually criticising the government and they're not bound by Cabinet responsibility. Mm. So I think their choice to be, well, assuming it was their choice, um, yeah, was a, was a wise move um, but I think it's also the case that you know Labor has actually been quite mean to the Greens. Oh, yeah. But there's no surprises there, and maybe the Greens by now have come to expect that. And maybe next time around they won't simply tie themselves to Labor. I mean, I, they didn't have any alternative, really. But I think New Zealand First. I mean, looking back, and if you look at Winston's speech, I think it was probably always much more likely that they would go with Labour because of Winston's thing about going with National would have meant just a, a, a slightly modified status quo mm-hmm. and going with Labour yep. meant change and I think he does want change especially coming to the end of his own parliamentary wants, career. Yeah, he, want, he wants a bit of a legacy doesn't yeah. he? Um, one of the things that was really interesting for me and I quite liked was the dismantling of the M- MPI, the Ministry of Primary Industries back into the three agriculture uh, forestry and fisheries um, which I think uh, when you've got a minister in charge of each they can look into it a, a little bit more in depth especially uh, um, with with fishing, um, you've got the fishing companies themselves policing themselves. You've got the companies that own the cameras on the boats and are looking at the cameras on the boats. They're actually the fishing companies themselves, uh, and they haven't been policed very well at all. Um, you've got this new planting plan from um, you know f- uh, from from the government where they're going to plant double the amount of trees they're doing now. Um, they're going to put in uh, new areas of native forest that is protected. Um, that's going to bring um, jobs to the the areas like Northland, uh, like the regions. One, uh, you know, you wish they would uh, make it compulsory for all the bits of wood to go offshore uh, as already milled limb, uh, timber, because that's been an issue uh, for the past twenty years, and that's uh, seen a lot of job losses there. But I think, uh, I, for for my own mind, I think that was a good move. Yeah, positive. 
possibly, I mean, that, that super ministry is always very controversial and it, it had its critics from both on the right, mm. uh, people like Matthew Hutton, uh, who just saw it as a, a big bureaucratic mess uh, with lots of self-interest at play, and on the left as well. I think in regards to uh, fisheries, I, I think we'll see this government take a very cautious approach, and, and a lot of that's got to do with um, New Zealand First, uh, both Shane Jones and Winston Peters have uh, uh, very close links to the uh, fishing industry, and of course Shane Jones to um, Maori uh, fishing interest. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I expect, mm. yeah, I don't. Um, I think this government will very, be very cautious at, at upsetting the fisheries industry, especially uh, Maori interests uh, within that industry, mm, which have the the biggest um, slice of the pie. I think. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, you look at um, sea lords. Mm. Uh, and, and, and the like. Um, right, um, now we've already seen um, some announcements. Uh, fuel tax in Auckland. Uh, w- another great one for me, uh, Tanaporta's compensation claim. Uh, they're adding the interest onto that straight away. I thought that was amazing mm-hmm. and brilliant and um, great leadership on the part of uh, Andrew Little, who I think is going to be brilliant in his roles. Uh, I'm hoping. But what are some of the other uh, first 100-day commitments that are underway? Okay, so, um, yeah, so we've already got the New Zealand First, Labour and Greens. Um, they've come up with agreements of, in terms of what policies will be focused on and what will be carried out in the first 100 days. Now, I'm just uh, uh, flicking through here. Um, in terms of uh, education, we're going to, um, so tertiary students will be interested in this. In the first year, um, uh, effectively, free education is going to be implemented. Uh, so, for any uh, new student uh, mm-hmm. who hasn't studied, uh, um, there will be no fees, and that will be moved towards over time uh, to um, free education. Now, I'll just try. <laughs> Sorry, I've uh, lost um, my information here uh, on what they're going to be doing the first couple of hundred days. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, there'll be a, a million dollars, a billion dollar per annum regional development fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's um, that's come through New Zealand First negotiation with Labour. In terms of immigration, immigration is definitely going to be slashed, but there's actually no set numbers. Um, but we can we're, we can expect it to be slashed by say thirty or forty thousand um, per year, with the focus being uh, to ensure work visas reflect genuine genuine skills shortages and to cut down on low quality international education courses. Uh, uh, Law and order, um, I I think we can expect um, both a mixture of conservative and liberal policy, so the aim is to introduce um, uh, 1,800 new police officers by 2020 mm-hmm. and to commit to a serious focus on organised crime and drugs. So I think that can be seen as a shift to the right, a more tough stance, stance on law and order. However, with Calvin Davis uh, being Minister of Corrections, I think we are likely to see some uh, area of reform in terms of uh, prisons. Yeah. Um, and that's a global trend as well, that the, the idea of uh, the way to crack down on crime is just to throw as many people in prison as possible mm-hmm. is seen to have failed and, yeah. and also to be quite expensive um, for the state as well. Uh, in terms of what the Greens uh, have got, uh, there's uh, a goal towards a net zero emissions economy by 250, so that's actually not going to happen in the first 100 days. Uh, establish a zero carbon act and a climate 
Climate Commission, um, uh, New Cross Agency Climate Change Board and Public Sector CTO. So there's a, uh, a few goodies for the Greens, uh, nothing necessarily substantial and nothing that points to uh, Jacinda Ardern's promise to make um, um, climate change issues the central issue of this government, the issue of our generation. So um, I think we can expect some more concrete policies to come out in, 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 over this three years, but whether it lives up to the hype is a, a, another question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On the, just on the fuel tax, like to me that's quite problematic because it's a form of indirect taxation and of course indirect taxation always hits low income earners the, mm-hmm. the hardest. So I don't think yeah, I, I, I don't think that's actually a good policy. Okay. And it could also uh, form a uh, black market, and that, that fuel tax yeah, only is only applied to Auckland. So uh, ten cents, do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, to- yeah, I, I totally agree and understand with that. Um, you know, maybe there's a way. Oh well, who knows what they're going to do there? Um, maybe there's a way of um, putting that into um, into effect in terms of um, Jesus, the fam- um, family plan, the family thing. Wow, why am I losing my train of thought here? Um, I think it would just be more what st- ways of, 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 of funding it for, for people on lower incomes. I think it would be easier just to get rid of indirect taxation, actually. Yeah, well, get rid of GST would be a good start. <laughs> but then how, I mean, how does uh, Auckland and the government pay for Auckland's infrastructure needs? Uh, th- well, the argument would be out of general taxation, taxation. yeah, yeah. yeah and, and out of a yeah. progressive taxation system. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, uh, that um, the argument would be that all New Zealanders uh, uh, benefit from the economic success yeah. of Auckland. Mm. Uh, Auckland is, is a wealth creator, yeah. uh, and therefore yeah. it should come out of general taxation. Of course, that would be highly controversial. Yes, right. I mean, that's yes. a, obviously, that, and typically those kinds of policies, uh, uh, the, the governments don't like to touch them because they'll be out the door the next day. Mm. Um, of course, um, there's other things uh, in terms of uh, banning overseas speculators from buying existing houses. Mm. Uh, you've also got got um, the New Zealand uh, the instruction to Housing New Zealand stop selling state owned houses as mm. well um, which is a good one but well, Phil what do you think about the you know uh, banning f- overseas speculators from buying houses uh, if you live here if you're a permanent resident of the nation uh, you can be a speculator yeah, yeah you can be a speculator <laughs> it's, it's, it's all well and good if, if you're a citizen uh, but not if you're living overseas and just buying them and, and, and in a lot of cases just leaving them empty <laughs> Yes. Well, my view would be, you know, getting rid of speculation in the housing market altogether. And to me, it's immaterial whether you happen to be a white New Zealander or a darker-skinned person from Asia or somewhere else. It's actually the act of being involved in housing speculation and driving up rents and house prices. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So... I would be in favour of actually stopping the problem, yeah. not basing it on nationality, which, let's face it, is really bound up with skin colour. And I would, I, you know, most yeah. of the people involved in in this kind of speculation are actually here, or are New Zealanders who are living overseas. Mm. But a lot of that's fear mongering too, because we know yes. by by um, we know by the stats that uh, it's Americans and Brits. Uh, for, yeah. for the you know for the most part, yeah. But they still and Canadians. Use, uh, they still, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But they still use the yellow peril. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. And Labour, uh, 
uh, yeah, uh, the, the, um, before they became government. You know, they definitely uh, highlighted uh, Chinese. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, all all in all, thoughts about the beginning. You know, the first few days and the, and uh, the first few. Um, you know, the, the promises of the first hundred days. Well, I find it fascinating that this government has been presenting itself as quite radical. So uh, we've had Jacinda Ardern quoted as saying that capitalism isn't working for um, the most New Zealanders based on the high level of child poverty, uh, declining uh, levels of home ownership, etc. etc. Now she didn't exactly say that, but she hasn't stepped back from being quoted saying that. So I think... Um, to me, uh, th- th- this government, I think, could be termed as a, a, a radical centrist government, and this is a term used by political scientists to to characterise governments such as the Trudeau government in Canada, uh, the Macron government in France, that, yes, operate within the centre, but can present themselves as being quite radical and even, to some degrees, anti-establishment and be being prepared to step out of us outside of the traditional perimeters of what's acceptable in terms of policy. Mm. Uh, So um, this government, you know, is talking about raising minimum wage to $20. Uh, Their immigration policies and their housing policies are quite radical, uh, arguably positions them on the right in those terms. But in terms of slashing uh, immigration by such high numbers and banning overseas speculators from buying houses, that is quite a radical, bold move. Um, On the left, uh, the... um, taking a a move to the left in terms of um, union legislation and bringing unions into a more central role to to some degree going back to the old uh, national award system to some degree so again that can be seen as relatively radical in terms of um, what previous governments have done and haven't done Um, so I think the image of this government uh, is 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 radical mm-hmm. in many ways, and it's using language that just hasn't been used. Uh, you know, this critique of capitalism, that type yeah. of language hasn't been used for decades in New Zealand by either Labour or National. Um, however, um, will this government be able to deliver in terms of the hype, in terms of the very high expectations that, that have now been placed on it, and, and and the high expectations that it has actually cultivated, you know, Jacinda Ardern talking yeah. about, we're going to clean up all rivers, we're going to end poverty in New Zealand. Now, there hasn't been a, uh, uh, I, I don't think, a government in the history of mankind that's ever ended poverty, so it's a very, <laughs> it's a very uh, bold <laughs> statement. Matthew Houghton, uh, who comes from the right, um, has, um, today has an article uh, outlining how he sees the actual programme of this government as being very moderate and mild, and that there's a huge distance between, between their rhetoric and in terms of what they're saying they're going to deliver at the moment. I think that's going a little bit too far, uh, but however, I think there is a large element of truth there, um, especially in terms of economic policies. We've got a very uh, cautious um, um, minister with Grant Robertson. It's the Minister of Finance that really decides at the end of the day what other ministers are able to do in terms of spending money and handing out goodies. Yeah. So I think that's a danger for this government, that uh, if, if because that the gap is so large between rhetoric and between proposed policies that it could uh, actually face a backlash from from its supporters. Yeah, yeah. I think this government is different from the last Labour government, the Clark government, and that presents certain dangers to it. Um, 
And just on the, the French and Canadian thing, I don't know particularly much about Justin Trudeau's policies, but, I mean, in France, Macron is definitely pursuing a very right-wing economic agenda mm-hmm. um, in terms of attacks on unions and attacks on the working class and so on. So I think there's a difference between that government and the the current New Zealand government. But it, I think it's, it's true what John has said about expectations have been raised, and I think Clark was very good at lowering expectations or yeah. keeping expectations down. Nobody was very disappointed with the Clark government because nobody expected that they were going to get rid of poverty or clean up the rivers or even oh. get rid of zero contract they hours. You cultivated know. low expectations. Cult- cultivated yeah. low expectations. Yeah, whereas the current government has certain expectations put upon it and they have partly cultivated them. But that presents a serious problem for them because what happens when those expectations aren't aren't fulfilled and I don't think they are going to get rid of child poverty. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the problem is... I think they'll make a dent. Uh, they might make... Yeah, the, yeah, they can make a dent. How big the dent is going to be, I think, is open to question. Mm. But they're committed to managing an economic system that actually requires a certain level of poverty, you know, requires a certain level of unemployment to keep wages down, requires certain things which they have said they will get rid of. And I think they're in a much more contradictory position than what the previous Clark government was or than what the key English government was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's the sort of buzzword of, of the day that poverty is a bad thing. A lot of people in business and a lot of right-wing economists agree that something has to be done about about poverty. So I don't think they're breaking any kind of capitalist consensus. Um, but, yeah, definite limits on how far they will be able to move while still being committed to an overall economic framework that yeah. just can't get rid of poverty. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, um, so... Either they're going to have to change the whole system, which is unlikely. But I think there is more room for movement compared with the previous Clark government, which did have, um, you know, some uh, uh, left reform agenda in terms of industrial relations, in terms of ACC, which it had to um, pull back from because of the the uh, backlash from business interests. We we effectively had a a capital strike in New Zealand, a capitalist strike in New Zealand, and 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 Labour, the Helen Clark government, was quick to step back and assure business interests. Whereas I think as Phil has said, I think amongst uh, corporate and business interests, amongst the the so-called elite or establishment, there's now a realisation that the high levels of inequality, that the growth of poverty is actually uh, detrimental to the system itself and presents a danger and that has to be addressed. So I think there's there's more flexibility in terms of um, business interests being open to government, spending a bit more um, in terms of uh, uh, left-wing and right-wing uh, structural reforms as a way to address those issues of inequality and poverty. But she's also stressed that you know everything they do is very closely discussed with business, and that this was true when they drew up their program, that this was true during the elections, and so on. So they're very, very keen to have business on board, and they're not going to have any sort of showdown with with business, and they're going to draw the unions further into that and so for instance with these fair pay agreements she's made very clear that 
strike action by unions will not won't be tolerated. Won't happen on my watch. Yeah, quite, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the the working class are kind of supplicants. You know, they become part of the process, which is part of the psycho babble talk. The process, and the government will deliver some things to them, and they're to be grateful and well behaved, yeah. and, and dress nice, and, and you know, and think, <laughs> and, and think, you know, Queen Jacinda, um, and everything will be hunky-dory. But what happens if some workers aren't happy with that and they decide to take strike action? What's your government going to do? Mm, and, yeah, that'll be very interesting to see. And I don't think they'll be favourable towards no. a, a, a raise, any rise in levels of industrial action. Mm. I think that um, one danger for this government is that its reform programme, its left-wing economic reform programme, is very reliant on ongoing surpluses, which yes. Treasury has said that mm. uh, we can expect surpluses, surpluses to continue over the two of, of this new government. <coughs> Labour has locked itself into uh, a set of budgetary responsibility rules which um, uh, locks it into operating on a 20% surplus, paying off debt and, and not operating, not blowing spending um, in, uh, outside the perimeters of what currently goes on in various ministries. Now what if we have a recession? Yeah. Uh, what if we have a, a downturn? Um, if the government continues to, to say it has to operate on a, a 20% surplus and paying off debts, etc., etc., uh, that would turn it into um, a government of right-wing austerity in the case yeah. of a recession. Well, we borrowed instead of going down that track. Yes, yeah. So uh, the, the last national government, the key, and then the English national government was unusual in the Western world and it didn't carry out a right-wing austerity mm. program. It actually she uh, carried out elements of a Keynesian policy of, of borrowing and spending and investing uh, to boost the economy. Um, um, so the danger for Labour is that if that if those surpluses disappear or collapse, uh, then its uh, its reform agenda is over unless yep. it's prepared to uh, drop those budgetary responsibility rules and, and yeah, take on a more sort of borrow and spend uh, policy agenda. It'll be interesting to see what happens. We'll run out of time. Um, but, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what Well, of course it's going to be, but, um, yeah, good luck to them. And, of course, you know, our bullshit GDP numbers are all tied into immigration. So uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what happens to those two once they cut 30,000 numbers. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, it could yeah, have a yeah. detrimental effect for yeah. the economy. The at least, what, you know, 3%, at least 2% of that was tied into mm. to, uh, immigration. So uh, we'll see what happens. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for coming in, as always, gents. And we'll see you again next week. For sure. Uh, it is now four past the hour of nine.